it is such a glorious thing that we as a church family get to be a part of what God is doing among the nations, including among unreached peoples of the world. And uh, Leo, thank you for the leadership that you continue to bring to that area of our life together as a church, brother. I've learned so much from you, and we as a church are benefiting from your leadership in that area, so thank you. Uh, let's turn together to amen. Thank you, Leo. <clears throat> let's turn together to 1 Peter chapter 3. It was two weeks ago that we exposited what the first seven verses of this chapter teach us about God's plan for marriage, and today I want to revisit these same verses uh, to consider more broadly the biblical teaching on men and women. I want to seize this opportunity to strengthen our convictions on biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. So our sermon title is Strengthening Our Complementarian Convictions. And we will look once again at 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. This is really sort of part two of what we heard. If this is the first time you're considering this text or some of these ideas, you may want to go back if you didn't hear it and listen to the sermon from two weeks ago. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. This is God's holy and authoritative word. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. May God bless the preaching of his word. As pastors, we take seriously the responsibility that we have before God to shepherd the flock of God. It is one of the great joys of my life and one of the great joys of our lives as pastors to spend and be spent for your sake. And so we pray for you and we maintain very deep affection for you. Uh, we seek to set an example to you in everything, in life and speech and conduct. We seek to feed you from the truth of the word of God as every faithful under-shepherd ought to do, and in our responsibility as under-shepherd serving the chief shepherd, we seek to guard and protect the flock from threats and dangers of many kinds, to protect you. And one of the reasons that I want to talk with you today about 
our complementarian convictions as a church has to do with the danger of Christians drifting away from God's good design for men and women. Um, I was watching the halftime report of a football game last week. It was the AFC Championship game. And as the commentators began their show, the massive speakers that were placed directly behind them drowned out their voices, and it led to this glorious moment of extended chaos. Uh, one article said, the analysts seemed to take it all in stride, trying to ignore the cacophony directly behind them until they didn't. I have no idea what you just said, Boomer Esiason said. I can't hear a thing that anybody said. And it occurred to me that the Bible's teaching on manhood and womanhood has been and is being drowned out in this cultural moment. The sound and the chaos is all around us. The world has set up a massive speaker that drowns out the message of God's word and has resulted in chaos. The biblical teaching regarding masculinity and femininity has been marginalized and even abandoned by many and a growing number of Christians are joining in the confusion of our culture. You might not know this or you may know it, but there is significant backlash against the biblical teaching on gender that's happening right now and it's coming from Christians. They write books with titles like Recovering from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, Beyond Authority and Submission, Jesus and John Wayne, uh, The Making of Biblical Womanhood, How the Subjugation of Women Became Gospel Truth. It's imperative that, that we as Christians, that we as a church family, respond to this cultural moment with wisdom, with grace, with humility, with discernment, with courage, with truth. There's a call that comes to us. Uh, Thomas Schreiner is a man who has done so much good for the complementarian cause over the decades. He recently wrote an outstanding article, this was just a couple weeks ago, entitled, Gender Questions Should Send Us to Scripture. I want to share with you a longer quote from this article. This is Thomas Schreiner. He says, many questions have recently been raised about complementarianism. We are keenly aware of the many stories of pastoral and spousal abuse, some of whom are noted complementarians. Such stories make many people wonder if complementarianism is simply a form of power grab, an attempt to hold on to male authority in order to exercise their selfish will. Cultural questions have been raised as well. Is the complementarian vision merely a product of white Western culture, deriving from a patriarchal ethos and an American vision of the good life, entirely sundered from biblical witness? Or others have suggested the complementarian view solely represents the worldview of the Republican Party, constituting a backlash to societal changes in the 1960s. Or as one historian initially proposed, perhaps we have been more influenced by John Wayne than Jesus of Nazareth. And then Dr. Schreiner says this, all of the questions posed above 
are excellent, and we need to be open to critique and revision. I hope none of us would claim that we are perfect in our interpretation or implementation of what scriptures teach on the relationship between men and women. There is always a danger that we have reacted to or imitated the society around us. We are all influenced by culture and should receive any critique that returns us to scriptural witness in good faith. We should listen charitably to brothers and sisters who view things differently, and none of us should be above reforming and nuancing our views. The matter is complex, however, and egalitarians, that's those who deny differences in gender roles, the matter is complex, however, and egalitarians must also be able to answer the questions that are posed to them. They are not immune to cultural forces either. The feminism of the 1960s has shaped society in profound and enduring ways, both for good and for ill. The sexual revolution has transformed our culture's conception of what it means to be a man and a woman. This shows up in the acceptance of same-sex marriage and transgender identity, among other things. Nor can we discount the influence of the mainstream media and major universities, many of which are guided chiefly by leftist ideology. Those who relax the complementarian norm are often celebrated in these spaces as open-minded by a social elite. In other words, there are social and cultural forces operating on both sides. No one is exempt and no one inhabits a neutral space when it comes to gender dynamics. And then he says this, and this is the sentence I want to call to your attention. Every argument for every perspective should send us back to the biblical witness. He says the word of God still pierces our darkness and can reshape how we think and live. The Bible can and should still be heard, believed, and followed even though we are all fallible and culturally situated. There's, I read that extended quote because there is so much for us to learn from it. I need more of that kind of humility. Church, we need to be open to critique and revision. We need to listen charitably to those who differ. We need to be willing to reform and nuance our views. And above all, we need to look to the word of God. He has spoken and we need to look to his word to form and to strengthen our convictions. It is scripture alone that breaks through the darkness and confusion of our age and rises above our cultural vantage point to give us God's eternal truth. This is what we need. We talk about gender. It's about the word of God. I refuse to call myself a traditionalist on gender issues, and you know why? Because there are a lot of ways that the Bible critiques and challenges traditional understandings of gender. Our authority, ultimate, is not tradition, it's the truth of God's word. And so, let's together strengthen our complementarian convictions. Our, our church has seven shared values drawn from scripture that we hold along with all the churches in Sovereign Grace, which is our family of churches. One of those shared values is complementarian leadership in the home and in the church. And it may be the shared value that is presently 
threatened the most. I am afraid it is rare in the church of Christ today to find newer believers or to find those in a younger generation, it is rare to find those who are strong in complementarian convictions and practice. At Covenant Fellowship, we believe it was God's good plan to create men and women in his image, giving, giving them equal dignity and value. We believe that God also appointed differing and complementary roles for men and women within the home and within the church. We believe that all men and women give different expressions to God's image in humanity as men and as women, and that biblical manhood and biblical womanhood should be valued and cultivated in all Christians, whether married or single. And we believe that as the redeemed community of God, purchased and saved by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, living as his people, living as that royal priesthood and chosen nation, the church has a unique opportunity and responsibility that lays claim to every one of us. That unique opportunity and responsibility is to celebrate this complementarity, to contend for it against cultural hostility, and to protect it from sinful distortions. The remainder of the time that we have here, I want to look at this under three different headings. Three points to strengthen our complementarian convictions. Equality, distinction, and opportunity. Okay, so first, equality. Equality. Men and women are equal in dignity and worth. Far too often, we find that the starting point for teaching about gender are the passages that restrict women in certain ways, and this ought not be. Why? Because God showers dignity and glory on men and women alike. And because the Bible starts in Genesis 1, not with our differences, but with our equality in the image of God. At the time that Peter was writing this letter of 1 Peter, women generally were not legal heirs. Uh, the, the culture unjustly valued one gender over another, valuing men over women. Peter cuts against the culture, shockingly, and declares that Christian men and women are equally treasured by God, and, verse 7, that they are equally heirs of the grace of life. Grace has come. And it's come for men and it's come for women. Saving grace, forgiving grace, empowering grace, future grace. The grace of life is available in Christ Jesus for men and women alike. In the very beginning, in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, God teaches us that men and women are both created in the image of God. And so Wayne Grudem says the Bible almost immediately corrects the errors of male dominance and male superiority that have come as a result of sin and that have been seen in nearly all cultures in the history of the world. Wherever men are thought to be better than women, wherever husbands act as selfish dictators, wherever wives are forbidden to have their own jobs outside the home or to vote, or to own property, or to be educated, 
Wherever women are treated as inferior, wherever there is abuse or violence against women or rape or female infanticide or polygamy or harems, wherever there is these things, the biblical truth of equality in the image of God is being denied. Christians must be on guard against the error, the sin of male dominance. Men and women are equally important in the mission of the church, and we are dependent upon each other in that mission. We dare not marginalize women or treat them as inferior. Commenting on 1 Peter 3, 7, this is what Jerem Barr says. He says, Joel prophesied, the Old Testament prophet Joel prophesied, that a time of spiritual equality would come. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Peter declares that this prophecy of Joel is now fulfilled. So Barr says, what should this mean for us? All of us across the gender barrier are able to learn and to communicate God's word. What we see in the ministry of Jesus Christ, his delight in treating women with dignity and honor, his eagerness to teach women, his glad recognition of women's witness is to be the reality in all of our relationships and in all of our churches. Women and men are equally redeemed. Women and men are equally given the spirit. Women and men are equally gifted to prophesy. And these are things that we've thought through that make a big difference in our church. So should we keep women off of our prophecy team or hinder them from sharing prophetic words with the church? Should we keep women from evangelizing lost men and women and proclaiming to them the gospel of Jesus Christ? Should we prohibit them from public prayer and public reading of scripture and from teaching one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? No, why? Because all men and women belong to the priesthood of believers. All are ministers of God and co-heirs of the grace of life. This is a part of the equal indignity and worth that must be nailed down as the starting point of considering the biblical teaching on gender. In fact, Jerem Bars goes on to say that if a man says he categorically cannot learn from a woman, well, he says that there's that that is the very height of arrogance. If someone says he cannot learn from his mother, his sister, his wife, his daughter, Barr says, you have cut yourself off from the wisdom of half of God's people. And Peter says that such a man who does not acknowledge that his wife is a joint heir of the grace of life will find his prayers hindered. Equality. The implications are massive. Men and women are equal in dignity and worth. Second heading, distinction. Distinction. Men and women display God's glory in distinct and complementary ways. It is not popular, but we see in God's word that men and women have different roles in marriage and in the church as part of God's created order. We see here in this text, we also see it in Ephesians 5, in Colossians 3, and elsewhere, that the husband has a God-given responsibility to provide loving leadership and to protect, and the wife 
has a God-given responsibility to submit herself to that servant leadership and to care for the home. Now again, the sermon two weeks ago said much more about a biblical vision of what marriage looks like. Authority and submission, which are both ideas that our culture presently frowns upon greatly and views negatively, are in fact, authority and submission are good because they are God's design. They are rooted in the Trinity with the Son submitting to and obeying the Father. And therefore, both authority and submission are a reflection of the character of God himself. Read Genesis chapter 2 and you'll see that authority and submission in marriage are not grounded in culture, but in creation. Scripture also teaches the distinct role of men and women in the church. There are countless ministries uh, available to women, and men and women are both essential and dependent upon each other in carrying out the mission of the church. At the same time, the Bible teaches, and 1 Timothy chapter 2 and elsewhere, but 1 Timothy chapter 2 is the chapter here that is so crucial for Christians to study and understand. Scripture teaches that it is men who are to serve as elders and pastors and under shepherds of the flock, and that it is those elders and pastors who are to carry out the governance and the authoritative preaching and teaching of the word in the assembly of the church. There are gender distinctions of role that are to function in the church as God has designed it. This is God's good design in the home and in the church. Furthermore, this complementarian design does not lead to abuse. It guards against abuse and contributes to the flourishing of men and women. See, the broader truth here is that there are differences between men and women, and these differences are very good. If, if you are embarrassed by the Bible's teaching on distinct roles in the home and church, if you are reluctant to celebrate gender distinctions, then this is an area in which convictions need to be strengthened. Our statement of faith under the heading man as male and female says this, although the fall distorts and damages God's design for gender and its expression, these remain part of the beauty of God's created order. Men and women reflect and represent God in distinct and complementary ways, and these differences are to be honored and celebrated in all dimensions of life. To deny or seek to remove these differences is to distort a fundamental way in which we glorify God as male and female. Here's one of the ways that I've thought about this, and it was some years ago that I preached a sermon here on raising masculine sons and feminine daughters. And I think the reason that that's an important way to frame the question is because each one of us who are parents should be able to say to our sons, here's what it means to be a man, and say to our daughters, here's what it means to be a woman. What would you say? What is 
masculinity according to scripture? What is femininity according to scripture? So much should be, should be, can be said, and I just want to give you the best that I've come across. It's one sentence each, and this is uh, from Mark Dever's church, borrowed from definitions that John Piper originally created. So this is not my sentence, but it's better than anything that I could come up with. What is masculinity? The essence of biblical masculinity is a sense of benevolent responsibility to tend God's creation, provide for and protect others, and express loving sacrificial leadership in particular contexts prescribed by God's word. Could obviously be unpacked at great length. I'm just going to leave it at the sentence. And then, what is biblical femininity? Biblical femininity is displayed in a gracious disposition to cultivate life, to help others flourish, and to affirm, receive, and nurture strength and leadership from worthy men in particular contexts prescribed by God's word. Again, could be unpacked in an entire class, which maybe we'll do at some point. For now, we leave it at that distinction. We display God's glory in distinct and complementary ways. Then our last and third point is opportunity. Opportunity. Men and women have a unique opportunity in this cultural moment. And I want to make sure that we as Christians see the opportunity for what it is, understand the opportunity, and seize the opportunity to be what God calls the church to be. What Peter's been saying throughout this entire section is that as the people of God live a certain way, their conduct will contribute powerfully to their witness in the world. Our lives and relationships, our marriages and our friendships should display the beauty of what the Bible teaches about manhood and womanhood. This is part of how our lives adorn the gospel we proclaim. There is a message we proclaim. It's the center of what we are about as a church. We believe Christ died for our sins and rose on the third day. There is salvation in his name alone. And the way we become Christians is not by living a certain way, not by having our good deeds outweigh the bad deeds we have done, but by taking all of our good deeds and all of our bad deeds, piling them up, turning from them both, and trusting in Christ alone for the forgiveness of all of our sins and for salvation. Salvation is found in Christ alone. This is the message that we proclaim. It's the message that we build our lives and this church upon. The way to impact the world with this gospel is both to proclaim this good news and to live in light of it, to live a certain kind of life. And that includes our witness to the world, includes men being certain kind of men and women being certain kind of women. It is God's creative design. It is good. It is beautiful. It is liberating. But it is not popular. And there is an increasing cost we will pay in society for being complementarian, for holding to what the Bible teaches about men and women. There will be a cost 
And I believe this is in so many ways the defining battle of our generation. Jonathan Lehman, who there's a helpful uh, journal that Nine Marks created on complementarianism. It's called A Moment of Reckoning. You can, complementarianism, A Moment of Reckoning, Nine Marks, you can read that journal. Jonathan Lehman says at the outset of that issue, he says, I think the egalitarian and androgynous push of the last several decades is a front burner, generationally urgent issue for the church, and anyone who denies this is naive. Our culture's assault on gender differences and authority is generationally urgent because it's unique to this Western moment, this time and place. This is our battle. And if you cannot see that, I believe you are more affected by our time and place than you realize. Do you, is this an issue that you care a lot about? Don't be on the sidelines when it comes to this issue. We, here's a concern I have. We can't just tolerate biblical complementarity. It needs to be celebrated. It needs to be delighted in. We must study this issue, examine the scriptures, read Kevin D. Young's book, Men and Women in the Church. Read John Piper and Wayne Grudem's short little book, 50 Crucial Questions. You can get it online for free. John Piper, Wayne Grudem, 50 Crucial Questions. And allow the teaching of scripture to shape your mind and your life. It's not enough to just say I'm complementarian. It's not enough to just check the right theological box to get the question right on a theology exam. We need to live our convictions. And we need to not just live our convictions, we need to tend to the flavor of our complementarianism. Let me say this, there is, there is a kind of weak complementarianism that is Theologically complementarian, yes, but it is ashamed of the biblical teaching. It does not want to hear about Titus 2. It has no strong convictions. This ought not be. And then on the other hand, there is a kind of culture war complementarianism, a, a sort of hyper complementarianism that we also want to avoid. It places no emphasis on exposing abuse or the misuse of power. It overemphasizes the differences between men and women. Its starting point and emphasis when it comes to women in the church is the restrictive passages. It frowns upon women with careers. It elevates gender-based stereotypes. It is not gracious and respectful toward egalitarians and to those who do not hold to the biblical teaching. And this too ought not be. It's not a matter of just getting the theology right. We need to live it and we need to tend to the flavor of our complementarianism. And so, church, we have a great opportunity before us as a church. How will you individually, how will you personally relate to the Bible's teaching on men and women? Here's what I say. First, come to Christ for the grace of life available to men and women through his atoning death. And then, because his grace has come, strive to be the men and women God has called us to be adorning the gospel in everything.
It's true, the world has set up its speakers behind us. You hear the noise. It comes from our culture. It comes from this world. It seeks to drown out the message of grace and the teaching of God's word. But through our witness, as a church, we believe the truth will prevail. We will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. Brothers and sisters, we are heirs of the grace of God. Men and women forgiven and cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, sons and daughters of the living God, seeking his glory, his renown, his fame in all that we do. May God help us to continue to be faithful as a people in this area for the glory of his name. Amen.